Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God. His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. Thank you to our generous underwriters on Sharper Iron, the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. And Luther Classical College, a college for Lutherans by Lutherans, opening in fall 2025. Learn more at lutherclassical.org. On this Wednesday, March 1st, we are studying John chapter 11, verses 17 to 27. In today's text, Jesus arrives in Bethany when Lazarus has been in the tomb for four days. The Lord comforts Martha with another one of his I am statements. I am the resurrection and the life. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Dan Speckard. Pastor Speckard serves at St. Peter Lutheran Church and School in North Judson, Indiana. Pastor Speckard, welcome back to Sharp Iron. Thank you for having me, Pastor Apple. So we get started today, Pastor Speckard. Let's talk context. We're in the middle of the account of what happens with Lazarus. What should we know about where we are in that text and anything from John's gospel that'll help us into our section today? Yeah, you, you mentioned we're in the middle of the account regarding Lazarus, and, and that account itself is kind of the middle of John's gospel in some ways. Uh, you know, I think you learn if you're doing an overview of the gospels that the death and resurrection of Lazarus is really a, a massive turning point uh, in the Gospel of John as you you go from our Lord's early ministry to uh, right after this, you're going to have the triumphal entry and, and the, you know, the week of the Passion uh, is underway. And John devotes so much time, uh, obviously, to uh, that, that final week of our Lord's uh, life. So, you know, this, this account here, uh, his interaction with Lazarus and his sisters uh, is pretty pivotal. Uh, and obviously, uh, St. John... Uh, would have would have intended that. Um, and, and like you said, we're picking up right in the middle of it. Um, Jesus and his followers heard uh, that Lazarus had died, uh, and now they are on their way to uh, to see for themselves, and uh, Lazarus's sisters are going to uh, interact with Jesus before he gets to the tomb. Uh, we start with Martha. That's what we're talking about today. Um, and, and, uh, and our Lord is just uh, oozing gospel uh, as he comforts this uh, the sister of, of Lazarus who had passed. All right, so let's go ahead and jump into the text. We are in John 11, beginning at verse 17 this morning. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. That's our text for today. That is John 11, verses 17 to 27. So, Pastor Speckard, let's 
talk a little bit about the timeline here and the significance of, of what John says concerning the timeline in, in our section. Jesus gets to Bethany and he finds that Lazarus has already been in the tomb for days. Why is that an important note? Yeah, and that's not something that we would necessarily uh, know was important, except that we have this rabbinic tradition that, um, uh, you know, the, the soul of, of uh, the deceased would hover around a tomb for three days, but after the fourth day, there would be no hope of resuscitation or resurrection. And of course, that's not something biblical per se, but it is, uh, it does inform how the uh, people, uh, you know, there in that day would have understood uh, the passing of Lazarus and the time that had passed. By the time that Jesus arrives, uh, this is not a situation in which any hope remains. Um, and, and you're not expecting uh, that Lazarus who had died, uh, nobody, doctor or healer uh, or, uh, you know, divine prayer speaker, nobody's going to be able to undo what had taken place. And you get the sense as the account wears on that that uh, that timing is is deliberate on the part of Jesus because he's going to demonstrate uh, that he is not just another healer. Uh, he is something greater, uh, and and that'll we'll, we'll see that when it culminates in this I am statement uh, regarding the resurrection and the life. Yeah, I mean, given the way Jesus acted in the previous text, as we saw yesterday, that he found out about Lazarus's illness and then waited for two days in the place that he was, now that we know Lazarus has been in the tomb four days when Jesus finally gets there, it it's hardly going to be an accident that that's the, the timeline. And yeah, to show who he is, that he is more than just this miracle worker or more than a, a he's got the right prayer or formula or something like that, but he actually is God himself who has come to undo death. That's, that's going to be a part of it. And a, again, a reminder with this being in the tomb four days, it, all of this is in the context that Lazarus is the one whom Jesus loves, and Mary and Martha, along with Lazarus, are those whom Jesus loves. That even though every time you get one of these timing markers, like Jesus waits two days, Lazarus has been dead for four days, it seems like, well, how? why is Jesus waiting around? How could he possibly love these people? This is always yeah. an opportunity for us to hold on to that truth, that even when it seems like our Lord is delaying or absent, that, that doesn't mean his love is absent. In fact, the very opposite is true. We remain those beloved by the Lord, even in the midst of all these tragedies. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's exactly right in terms of the, the pastoral application here, that the love of God is not always or even often uh, going to be the immediate satisfaction of our minute-by-minute needs. Uh, our Lord interacts with us uh, on a, in a way that has eternity in mind. Uh, and God desires the salvation of our eternal soul. And we, in our human ways and um, sort of with our human scope of reason, we're always always going to tend to be focused on, um, you know, a very temporal timeline. You know, what's, what's happening right now and what do I need uh, tomorrow and the next day? And we might sometimes expect God to uh, be working along the same, um, uh, same scope of time, but he doesn't. Our Lord is constantly dealing with his people uh, in a way that is going to work out for their eternal well-being. And the way we see Jesus express his love uh, for Lazarus and Martha and Mary here um, in a deliberate delay, a delay that, uh, as Martha and Mary are going to claim, um, you know, this delay <coughs> is sort of directly results in the death of their brother. Uh, nevertheless, uh, it results um, shortly thereafter in this this manifestation of God's might 
and glory and love, something far beyond what they could have imagined, um, precisely because Jesus is working on on a different timeline than they can comprehend, uh, at least initially. With thinking about the Lord delaying here on a very personal level, uh, we see the comfort, but also to think about the delay of the Lord, at least as it might be conceived as we wait for his return. That's, I think, another aspect of this, that again, you know, as we look around the world that we see, it grows more and more evil. There are, you know, things that go against the Christian faith, and it seems that the church is more and more persecuted, and, and we ask how long, O Lord, and we wonder why he is delaying, again, not just on a, a personal level, but for the church as a whole, to, to remember that even as the Lord does not yet return and we continue to wait, again, that is not a sign of his lack of love, but his love continues for his whole church. So, I mean, sometimes it's, it's very easy for us to, to see it on a personal level, and that's not wrong by any means. There's a comfort there. But also to keep in mind how this applies to the whole church as we wait for the Lord's return, I think, is, is important as well. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And, and you know, it's one of those things that very often you can't, you can't see it until you're seeing it in retrospect. Right. Um, but we can all, you know, think through what would have happened if, um, you know, we had gotten the, the timeline we desired or, or if our Lord returned uh, yesterday. Well, what about the, uh, the hope and the love that has been shared today? It makes us very grateful that we are the one, we are not the ones establishing the timeline and having right. to work out uh, the day and the hour. That is in, in the hands of the Lord. And, and it is an act of trust then uh, when we're not getting what we want immediately. Uh, it's an act of trust and faith to uh, believe that, you know, the Lord's timing is good. Um, and for the church on earth, whether we're talking about kind of that broad scope, as you mentioned, or if you're a congregation awaiting a pastor, or if you're a single person awaiting a, a spouse, or as your parents awaiting a child, I mean, um, you know, all, all of that waiting uh, can be very, very difficult. But that difficulty is a chance to trust uh, that the Lord's timeline and the, and the Lord's timing is good. Um, the key, and this is going to become thematic for our Lord's interaction with Martha, is to recognize that the Lord's purposes are eternal. That's what makes his working within the temporal sort of make sense. Um, so we have to keep that in mind. In verse 18, St. John the Evangelist tells us that Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And we found out in the previous text that Lazarus and his sisters, Mary and Martha, are residents there in Bethany. But that was about all we found out. Here we get this little bit of extra information. Is there any significance to the, the way that John writes about Bethany in this verse? Yeah, I think there is. And I think that uh, a lot of commentators have noted that you know Bethany is brought up at the start of uh, the start of this account, and uh, you know, chapter eleven, verse one, um, John could have told us then uh, where Bethany was, and it's not as though within the account its proximity to Jerusalem is is all that central. Um, at least not until later. Obviously, it does matter. You know who these Jews were that came uh, to comfort uh, Martha and Mary, and and the connection between the Jewish leadership in Jerusalem that matters in kind of the uh, the outflow of this. But as far as what's happening. Um, in the account we're studying today, it doesn't really make a difference that Bethany is near Jerusalem, except that um, I think we can suppose that John is trying to draw a connection, uh, that we're going to read about this. And then uh, in the very next uh, chapter, um, you know, our, our Lord is going to enter into Jerusalem and begin uh, the week of his passion. And we are going to uh, very naturally connect his victory over death in this account 
with his uh, sort of conflict with death and sin and darkness and the devil um, that, that is to come uh, shortly thereafter. So I think John is, is being intentional uh, when he points out that Bethany is near Jerusalem. Uh, he wants us to hear this story about Lazarus and connect it to a very similar story uh, about Jesus himself, his death and his resurrection. Okay, so the proximity to Jerusalem, again, keeps us focused on where Jesus is headed, what will happen to Jesus, and of course, all of what happens here with Lazarus is pointing forward to that event of our our Lord's own death and resurrection. So they're there in Bethany near Jerusalem, about two miles away, and then John tells us that many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother, I talk a little bit about what that verse reveals about the the mourning practices of the Jews, and maybe about what we learn about from Martha, what we learn about Martha and Mary from that verse. Yeah, it's a, maybe a little bit speculative, but you do have this uh, sense in which uh, Martha and Mary probably, um, and and of course Lazarus also would have been uh, people of some standing. You know, if many of the Jews are going to come out and console them, uh, even from uh, Jerusalem, which is kind of the implication when you take verse eighteen and verse nineteen together. Um, you know, these were people uh, who were known. Uh, Lazarus must have been somebody uh, who was known in that community. And um, this is not an insignificant uh, passing. Um, and then also you do you do hear about, and again, this is all uh, piecing together what we have from, not just from the scriptures, but from other sources, uh, that this would have been a not uncommon practice for the Jewish people to um, make a point of over the course of days consoling the bereaved. Um, just like we have, if people were studying our culture, they would notice uh, that after somebody passes, there's uh, typically a time of gathering, uh, you know, that we would call a, a visitation or a wake and then a service, kind of a similar thing happening for the Jewish people here. All right. So there is a, a crowd of people here, and that becomes important later. We're going to see this group of people as the text progresses. But as John gives us the rest of what we have today, he focuses on this interaction between Martha and Jesus. So Martha hears that Jesus was coming, and she goes out to meet him while Mary stays in the house. Now, talk about what we're going to see here and in in this initial interaction from Martha to Jesus. Yeah, so I think for me, when I read this, I mean, I, I immediately, that the fact that Martha went out and Mary remained, um, you know, th- th- this is not the only time in the Gospels we hear about Martha and Mary. And so there's, yeah. there, you kind of, you kind of begin thinking through, um, you know, how are these two sisters different in the way they interact with Jesus? Just like, uh, you know, that's what you have in, in the Gospel of Luke chapter 10. Um, but uh, I, I think what we're going to find is that, you know, it, it's not quite so in, in Luke chapter 10. So if, when Jesus is teaching and Mary stays at, at his feet and Martha is bustling around, um, it's kind of easy to work out uh, which sister had chosen the good portion because Jesus tells us. Um, here, it's a little bit more complex, and I think that uh, you glean a great deal uh, from the way our Lord responds to the inquisitiveness and almost almost confrontational uh, approach of Martha as compared to what you'll you'll see in the next section where he responds to the a little bit more straightforward response of Mary. Um, uh, so, you know, that, that's kind of what comes to mind for me always is that that connection there. Martha is going to be talking to Jesus about sort of the obvious thing. Um, you could have come earlier, and if you had, something might have been different. Uh, and then Jesus is going to unpack, uh, similar to the way that he unpacked with his uh, followers when they didn't immediately go 
Jesus is going to begin unpacking, uh, you know, why, if not directly why he delayed, uh, certainly uh, what he can do now that he is here. And um, that's where the, the conversation is going to go. So, I mean, thinking about what we learn about these two women in Luke chapter 10, where Martha is the one who's, you know, busy working, anxious and troubled. Mary is the one who's sitting at Jesus' feet there. Do we, I mean, like, does this text help to round out that picture, give a fuller picture? Does it only add to that picture? I mean, should we see yeah. them as similar? I don't know. What do you, what do you think? I know maybe that's a little speculative, but what do you, what do you think? That's a great question. And I think it's it's kind of, it's funny to think how when these texts were written, and of course, by the time John's writing this gospel, probably Martha and Mary aren't aren't around any, anymore, but but people would have known these woman, women by reputation. And so um, it is maybe a little bit speculative uh, for us to, uh, to wonder what they would have taken from uh, the way these accounts go. I think in Luke, it's very straightforward. I think here in John, um, I think Martha comes off a lot, uh, a lot, if not better, at least stronger. Um, her questions are legitimate. And the way that Jesus responds, he kind of uh, leads her into a, um, a a confession that, you know, in verse 27 is really a, a beautiful confession, although it is a little bit more complex than might uh, initially meet the eye, as we'll discuss. Uh, but I just, I think that, you know, without wanting to give away your next show, uh, Jesus's interaction with Mary is very, it's just very raw. It's very, um, uh, you know, very simple. Uh, you might even call it childlike. And I think that is very similar to what we see in Luke. Luke describes Mary as just like a child sitting and listening. Uh, Martha's a little bit more complex, but at least in this case, uh, our Lord seems to willingly entertain her complex inquiry uh, in order to make a really profound um, point about who he, who he is. Now, I, I do think we have to say you know, in fairness to what John is doing, I don't think he's intending for us to to read this and psychoanalyze Mary and Martha. Right. right. Um, I think you know that's kind of a secondary point. But you know, it is as we're in verse twenty, it's kind of an interesting thing to uh, to consider. But the main thing, obviously, is is who is Jesus uh, and what is Jesus saying about himself. Uh, which becomes very clear. Right. Yeah. I mean, we, we always want to be careful when we encounter the people in the scriptures not to psychoanalyze them because that's not what it's written for, as you said. And and it's striking that very often in the scriptures, we aren't told explicitly in the text what their emotion is. We're told a lot more about what they do than necessarily what they feel. So again, we should be careful about that. I guess the, the reason that I find some comfort in thinking about those two texts side by side, Luke 10 and John 11, is particularly in the case of Martha, where I, I do think that the way we read about Martha in John 11 does round out that picture more than what we get in Luke 10. You know, in, in Luke 10, yeah. where Martha's the one who's busy and she's, she's asking a question and you, you kind of, I mean, it's easy to look at Martha there and say, come on, Martha, you, you really should know better. But here, I, I think it's much easier to sympathize with Martha and and you see how even though there's that moment recorded in Luke 10 where her faith is is not shining through, I think you do see her faith shining through here. And just that, the the, the reality of the people that are there in the scriptures, that, that the things that Martha felt and went through are not all that different than what I feel and go through at various moments. And there are moments in my life as a Christian when I'm like Martha and lose sight of Jesus and his word and my need to rest. And there's moments in my life as a Christian where I'm like Martha, I need the comfort from the Lord. 
And so just to see the, again, the reality of the people in the scriptures, that's, I think, the thing I appreciate about putting those two texts side by side. Yeah, I think that's right on. And and I was, you know, I quick uh, here on my computer, I jumped to Luke chapter 10 because I'm trying to remember, Pastor Apple, do you know, is it, I, I guess I always think of Martha as the older sister. But Ooh, I don't know. Is, I, don't know is... if that's, I don't know if that's actually clarified specifically. Um, I think I think the... from my experience of, of being an older sibling myself, Martha strikes me as an older sibling. And that, that's exactly what I was going to say, because I'm also I'm the oldest of, of four. And and um, and I kind of see in my own children, yeah, you know, same, my, my oldest. Is, and it, you, you do you want you have this this additional responsibility uh, with respect to the household and you do. Um, as a part of that, I think you quite naturally, uh, you know, you're, you're constantly seeking a greater sense of control or understanding. Um, it's not good enough to just sort of let things happen uh, to you and to the people you love. You want to have, uh, if not a say in what's going to happen, at least an understanding of why they're happening. Uh, I know that I drove my parents nuts growing up, constantly uh, demanding to know why, uh, demanding to sort of get to the bottom of what, what exactly is going on here. Uh, and now my oldest is doing the same to me. And it is comforting as somebody, uh, and it sounds like you have a similar experience, you know, somebody who's been there to hear Martha sort of, whereas in Luke, she kind of gets rebuked. Here in John, she does something similar. And Jesus, Jesus converses with her uh, and seeks to comfort her and ultimately brings her around uh, to, you know, the source of really the only true source of comfort that there is. Uh, which is his identity and his activity. Um, so I, yeah, Martha really resonates with me uh, personally, and, and it's nice. Uh, it's nice to see Jesus respond to her, um, maybe, maybe seemingly more patiently than than what uh, we we get in Luke chapter ten. Sure, sure, yeah, and and you know, and just a, he he calls her Martha, Martha there, so he certainly speaks with love there as well. Yeah. Uh, but it comes through here in John 11, for sure. So she, Martha, has gone out to Jesus, and her initial statement to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Talk first about what she says that first sentence. If you'd been here, my brother would not have died. That that sounds almost confrontational, perhaps. It, it is. I think it, it sort of... Um... It's like, I'm not blaming you, but, right. uh, I, you know, I think that's uh, uh, downright confrontational if, if we're being yeah. uh, blunt about it. And that's what you would expect for uh, somebody who is bereaved um, as she's grieving her brother whom she loved. Uh, she believes that Jesus could have made a difference. And so his delay uh, is going to feel personal. Now, she does have that caveat. Uh, she still respects Jesus. She still... Um, uh, wants to indicate, you know, that she's not, it's not as though she's going to bear a grudge over this, but it hurts that her brother died. Uh, and I think this is a very, you know, in this account, we often think, and I, I mentioned before, there's a, a rawness that comes with Mary weeping and then Jesus weeping. But I think Martha's words here and her sort of effort to, um, you know, maybe temper, when again, now here I go psychoanalyzing, but, but she's, you know, there's, there's this, her brother died, and she's hurt by it. Um, to me, that that feels very, very uh, real. And as pastors, you know, you and I get to uh, have the privilege of walking with families uh, at the time of the death of of uh, people they love. Uh, and, and this this sounds familiar. Um, 
you know, God could have intervened. God could have saved my husband or my wife or my child or my parent. Um, you know, we prayed that he would be cured and he wasn't. What do we do with that? Um, you know, and, and so, you know, the only thing to do is see how Jesus responds. But uh, no doubt this question uh, is one that I think is going to really echo in the hearts of a lot of people. I think you're right. And and I, I want to talk a little bit about this question because I think there is there's a certain sort of Christian piety that would read a question like this, like, how how could you say that to Jesus? Like, I mean, is is that that doesn't sound pious to to mm-hmm. accuse the Lord. I mean, as you said, downright confrontational, that this is somehow his fault. That may be a question that we're like, oh, can I say that to Jesus? So, I mean, how would you answer that, Pastor Speckard? Can, can I say that to Jesus? Yeah, I, I think the answer is, is you know, plain as day in the way Jesus responds. He he doesn't rebuke her for the, the and I guess it's more of a statement than a question, but the question is sort of in the, in the, the statement, why didn't you intervene? Um, uh, Jesus responds in patience and love and leads her along the way towards understanding that uh, he uh, will intervene uh, in a way far greater than, than she's uh, imagining in her grief. Um, and so, yeah, absolutely. We can, uh, uh, we can in our prayers and in our grieving, uh, absolutely interact with God in this way. I always, it's something I find myself telling uh, families often. Uh, you talk about, you know, Christian piety. I think one of the things that um, uh, we do or we feel as Christians, is that when we lose a loved one, you know, as Christians, we're supposed to know uh, the truth of the matter and that Jesus has defeated death. And so we can't be sad. We can't be angry. We have to, we almost have to um, act like this is exactly what we wanted to be doing, was mm-hmm. attending a funeral of somebody we, we're, we're dearly going to miss. Um, I think this account reminds us that the beauty of being a Christian is that we're freed from that fake joy. Uh, we have a much deeper, much more profound and eternal joy that allows us to call a spade a spade. And we can ask God uh, the seemingly impertinent question, why didn't you intervene? The key is that you hear God's answer, uh, which ultimately is that he is the resurrection and the life. Um, but uh, it's <laughs> it kind of cuts through that that pious mourning we sometimes try to try to take on and it gets to the heart of the matter. Yeah, yeah, and it, and then it becomes a, a mourning with hope, as Paul would say in First Thessalonians. Yes. We don't mourn without hope; we mourn with hope, and that that happens when we ask these questions of Jesus, and then we hear His wonderful, comforting answers. We're going to take our break right there. You're listening to Sharper Iron on KFUO. We are talking to Pastor Dan Speckard this morning about John chapter eleven. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Did you know that Lutherans are helping new American immigrants get settled? How about struggling church workers in need of support and refreshment? And we assist at-risk children and provide disaster response to hurricane victims. Through LCMS recognized service organizations, we are doing all this and more. I'm Rahema Kavuga of Lutheran Church Extension Fund, and I don't want you to miss out on hearing what your brothers and sisters in Christ are up to. Visit interesttime.org to see how your support gives life to these works of mercy and love. What do you think of when you hear the word college? Expensive? Liberal? Woke? 
Imagine a college that is affordable, a college that is unapologetically conservative and Lutheran, a college that won't take a dime of federal funding, a college that teaches the best of our Western heritage, a college where students grow in the Christian faith instead of leaving it behind. This is Luther Classical College, a college by Lutherans and for Lutherans. Visit our website, lutherclassical.org, subscribe, become a patron, and join the thousands who are making Luther Classical College a reality. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Wednesday, March 1st. We're studying John chapter 11, verses 17 to 27 with Pastor Dan Speckard. He serves at St. Peter Lutheran Church and School in North Judson, Indiana. Pastor Speckard, prior to the break, we were talking about what Martha says to Jesus when she first goes out to him. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And we were talking about how this is actually something that a Christian can and should say to Jesus. And and as I listen to Martha saying that to Jesus, I, I'm reminded of so many Psalms that speak in that same way, asking the Lord these questions that, that may sound impious, but come from the reality of what it means to live in a world that is broken by our sin, a world in which we sin and we experience death because of it. And, and if we don't take that prayer to the Lord, if we don't ask the questions of him, then we end up, you know, just kind of either philosophizing about them and listening to some other answers, which won't be any good or any, or any help, or we just sort of roll them around in our minds without any real outside help or comfort. And again, that, that leads us just to despair as much. I would, I would say that the fact that she says this to Jesus is exactly what she needs to do. And, and because she says it to Jesus, then it, it takes her down this this path in which she gets to hear the Lord's answer. And the Lord, through yeah. her praying and that interaction with her, he brings her to to that actual comfort, not just sort of a, you know, a bunch of euphemisms or something like that, but a real comfort in who he is. And, and the only way she gets there is if she starts with this prayer, which may sound impious, but in fact is actually exactly what she needs to pray. Yeah, that's exactly right. And it's a, it's a humbling thing uh, to, you know, finally put down, um, you know, what, what ultimately is kind of a defense system when we have these, this false piety and these uh, ways of speaking that uh, allow us to convey a portion of how we feel, but never the full thing. Um, and we're going to make sure we maintain uh, our, our carefully cultivated image and how people perceive us. Um, we're, I mean, th- that's sort of the, uh, the way that we act by default, but sometimes if you're hurt badly enough, if you're mourning, um, uh, you know, deeply enough, um, you can't help but just say what you feel and let your heart be exposed, which is scary. But that honest, humble, uh, Lord, I am upset, uh, lament, uh, opens the door to Jesus, you know, rhetorically taking Martha by the hand and bringing her to uh, the reality of his his life and resurrection, um, we we prevent ourselves from from fully uh, receiving uh, the comfort God would give us if we try to hold on to our self comfort, our self defense. Um, let God comfort you. Uh, be honest with Him. He sees He sees and knows you uh, better than you do anyway. Uh, we might as well lean into that as Martha does. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and and that's where an example of someone mourning like Martha, or again the accounts of people mourning and lamenting in the Psalms, I think is so helpful because it gives us a place to to start. I mean, if I if I'm feeling these 
the sadness over a loved one who has died, what do I do with that? The Psalms, Martha here, they give that example. And again, they, they end up taking us to Jesus so that we would see his answers and receive that true comfort. So, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. This is entirely appropriate for Martha to address Jesus in that way. As you said, though, Pastor Speckert, she doesn't stop there. In verse 22, St. John says that she also says to Jesus, but even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. I think you, you refer to that as her maybe tempering what she said a little bit. What What is she up to there? What does she still need to learn? Yeah, you kind of get the sense that she she's almost trying to, um, you know, I've said too much and now I'm going to backpedal a little bit, um, which is an example of that self-defense thing that we do. Uh, and it's it, it's almost, it's helpful for us that she did do that because it, it reveals the error of it. In trying to backpedal and trying to, uh, sort of add a caveat to a moment of honesty, uh, she winds up saying uh, something that's, that's sort of problematic. Um, even now that I, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Well, that's true uh, of Jesus, the Son of God, but it doesn't really get to the heart of who he is. Uh, our Lord is not merely a conduit to God. He is God. And that's the point he's going to be making as the conversation goes along. And I think it's something we we need to make sure that we catch. Because we'll notice in verse 27, Martha, Martha gets there. Uh, and it, you, you almost have the sense that, that Jesus is not satisfied with the confession uh, in, Je- in, in uh, verse 22. Uh, in verse 27, Martha has been led uh, to a much more uh, accurate, profound confession. Um, and, and obviously, you know, we could talk all day about why it matters that Jesus is not merely uh, another prophet or not merely uh, somebody through whom God is accessed. Uh, Jesus is God, um, you know, God of God, light of light, very God of very God. That that matters particularly uh, when somebody you love is lying in the tomb, or when you are yourself uh, are preparing for death. So, right, yeah, and and you know, with what she says there in verse twenty two, as you said, it's not that she's she's wrong, and and her, you know, if she's backpedaling a little bit or trying to to temper that raw emotion that comes out in verse twenty one. You know, what she says is not impious or it's not entirely unfaithful. She's She's got a point, but it, it seems that the the comfort that she's trying to hold on to in verse 22, while some comfort isn't the fullness of the comfort that Jesus wants her to have and that he's come to bring. And that's where, I mean, where when we think about, as you said, when we are the ones preparing for death or comf- or receiving comfort when a loved one has died, we want the fullness of that comfort more than just, I know God will do whatever Jesus wants, but the yeah. actual, he is the resurrection and the life who defeats death and he's done it for you. That's the full comfort that God wants you to have. And I think, you know, again, not that Martha is is unfaithful, but she's not, she doesn't have the fullness of the comfort that Jesus wants for her there in verse 22. But again, the fact that she's talking to Jesus gives him the opportunity to give her the real answer. Precisely. I mean, you interact with Christ via, well, you know, Martha directly here, us via his word, um, and, and you you trust that, you know, we'll be led where we need to go. But I, this is this is something that I think modern-day Christians have to, to kind of be on guard against. Uh, there are lots of uh, forces in the world that will acknowledge, uh, you know, sort of the, the general goodness of Jesus and half measures and, and um, you know, sort of, uh, guarded statements, you know, he's a he's a great teacher, uh, or he was a, a good 
you know, a good person or, um, you know, there's all sorts of, uh, you know, other religions, even like you think about the way that, that, um, Islam handles Jesus. He's a prophet. You know, all, he was a great teacher. He was a good person. He was, you know, sort of prophet with a capital P, but he was more than that. And it's in the totality of who he was and is, uh, that the, uh, the comfort we need is finally found. So just something for us to keep an eye on because we don't, we don't ever want to, um, say less, uh, than we could about who Jesus is. Uh, certainly he makes sure to, uh, to clarify that for Martha as we, as we go on here. So in verse 23, Jesus responds, he says, your brother will rise again. And then Martha says, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. That, that gets us up to the, the monumental statement that Jesus is going to make in verse 25. Uh, take us into that, you know, Jesus response and then Martha's response back to him. Yeah, and I, I don't know for a fact uh, that this is sort of a, um, uh, would be totally like a, a Jewish idiom, um, but it, it, sure, it certainly comes across, you know, your brother will rise again. I know that he will rise again in, a re- in the resurrection on the last day. That comes across as Jesus is kind of entertaining Martha's half statement in, in verse 22. He's, he's, you know, kind of, okay, let's go down that road. I'm going to say the generic, He's in a better place, I think, is what we would say now. Uh, and then Martha's going to respond, yes, I know that he is. Okay, well, you know, that's, Jesus knows, obviously. Uh, that's not the full truth. Uh, and I think that it's kind of interesting, um, uh, you know, he, he almost, he sets the stage for, in verse 25, he is going to take the lid off and the light of the, uh, you know, of his identity is going to shine into Martha's darkness. Um, and it just is, it exposes all of our idioms uh, for just being woefully insufficient. How, you know, the types of things we say to people who are grieving when we don't know what to say, um, or the types of people that, or the types of things that people say when they don't, they don't know the gospel, but you got to say something. Um, you know, contrast, contrast the generic, your brother will rise again. I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Contrast that with what we're going to have here in verses 25, 26, and 27. And they're just two totally different categories of, of dialogue. So, um, Right. Yeah. I mean, and, and so the Jesus speaks in verse 27. And here we come to the I am statement in John chapter 11. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Before we talk about the specifics of that statement, just remind us of the significance of Jesus speaking this way in the Gospel of John when he says, I am the bread of life or or the light of the world, here the resurrection and the life. What's the significance of Jesus using that turn of phrase? Yeah, these these I am statements are, of course, a, a callback to the Old Testament where we, we this is a, a divine way of speaking. The one who is, right, Yahweh, um, the being one, uh, I am, and we typically write it today in, in all caps. Uh, these statements are, are statements that aren't so much, um, uh, you know, Sometimes we, people will say things about themselves that are qualified or, or um, uh, mitigated. Uh, when Jesus says, I am the resurrection to life, or, or as he does throughout John uh, with those other statements, he is saying fundamentally, I am God, right? Yahweh is me. I am divine. Uh, and that is, you know, <laughs> and, uh, that's fundamental to, to not just Christianity, but it's fundamental to reality uh that jesus is the son of god um 
and, and you just you can't you can't see enough. And as you've gone through, John, I know you have unpacked this uh, the significance uh, of these statements. It's everything in John's gospel. So here specifically, Jesus says, "I am the resurrection and the life." And then he, he elaborates on that, but just talk about that. How is this now the fullness of the comfort that Jesus wants Martha to have? Yeah, so, you know, Martha is dealing with death, the death of a loved one. But in dealing with the death of a loved one, uh, she, like we all uh, inevitably will, are forced to confront our own mortality. So uh, it's kind of a—and lots and lots of uh, literature and poetry have been devoted to this dynamic—that uh, the death of one— is really the death of all and vice versa that we uh we experience in the passing of our brothers and sisters our fellow human beings we experience the problem of mortality uh we face it head on and jesus responds to that uh by saying i am for lazarus i am for you i am for the world uh, the, the only thing that can save you from that fate, right? The resurrection and the, and the life. And then he's going to, you're going to have it, he, he seems to get a little bit repetitive, but he's just, he's gradually unfolding what it means that the resurrection and the life, the one who is uh, and was and always will be, is present with Martha in that moment. What exactly that means uh, for the problem of mortality that she's facing, what that means for her brother, what that means for all of us. Um, and then, of course, it, it culminates in a question of faith, right? Do you believe this? As we'll read in verse 26, uh, are you connected to life with a capital L via Jesus uh, by faith or not, right? That's finally the only question that matters, um, and that's who Jesus is. He is life for us. So when Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, I suppose so far in John's gospel, all of the I am statements have been singular. I am the bread of life. I am the life of the world. I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. Here we have, I am this and that. Are we to understand those two things together? Are there distinctions? I mean, like when he says, I am the resurrection and the life, I know later he's going to say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So resurrection and life, how did those two things go together? What all is encompassed in this statement of Jesus? Yeah, I think it's kind of an unfolding. You you know, the, the word resurrection obviously implies uh, the reality of death. So life, life was before death was. And the nature of our existence in this fallen world, uh, and, and certainly the, the result of original sin, is that life as we live it and perceive it, um, it's, not, it's not full. Right when we're born, we're born dying. Well, that's not how we were created to to live. Um, and so you have this: uh, the resurrection is kind of you. You might consider it to be the escape from our mortal death, um, the death of our body. But that's not even that isn't the full story, uh, as we're going to eventually see here. Lazarus is raised, but he's raised and he'll die again. Well, that's that's only so helpful. Um, what we need is to be raised and then to go on living, right? So you kind of have that that transition from the temporal life and death, but also the spiritual life and death. And in Christ, we are, um, uh, you know, the, the beauty of the gospel is that it's through our temporal death that we are actually brought in to eternal life. And that's where Jesus wants Martha to get. He's going to raise Lazarus. It's going to be a demonstration of his of his power and his identity. 
but for Lazarus, uh, that resurrection ultimately is secondary uh, to the resurrection and the life that he's going to receive by faith in Christ in eternity. Uh, and that's obviously where we want to uh, turn our attention to, you know, at the end of the day. Mm, that's right. Yeah. So as Jesus continues, then after I am the resurrection and the life, he says, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Before we get to the question, then that Jesus asks Martha, what is what is he saying now as he explains further this resurrection and life that he is? Yeah, and so commentator is kind of confusing. Uh, like I said, it seems like our Lord is being a little bit repetitive, and, and different different commentators might uh, take this in a few different ways. Um, I, I keep using that language of unfolding, and I think that our Lord is is trying to transition. Uh, transition us from the the problem of temporal life really being temporal death, right? So if you're if all you're concerned about is what's happening in this world, right? You're alive now, but you won't always be. Um, he's trying to transition our perspective from that towards a perspective that encompasses the reality of eternal life, a life that does not die. And so when he says, uh, "Whoever believes in me." Uh, though he die, yet shall he live, we might hear that and think, okay, we're going to think in terms of Lazarus here, who has died and is going to come back to life. But whoever lives, right, has that life with a capital L and believes in me shall never die. Uh, and I think the the way the, the Greek is constructed is that that shall never die. You, you can't say it, you can't have a more sort of firm negative than that. Um, you will go on not dying is how I saw it translated in one place, which is to say that you have been freed by faith in Jesus, not just from your temporal death. Uh, you're not, it's not just that you're going to like come out the other side. It's that you are going to be restored to that life which has no end, that life that finally transcends death, judgment, condemnation. This is who Jesus is, and this is what Jesus came to deliver, uh, deliver to us. And you get that language um, elsewhere in John with that you know life and life to the full, um, sort of these degrees can get complicated, but we have to understand the purpose for which our Lord came. He did not come to give Lazarus a few more years on this earth. Uh, he came to save Lazarus's eternal soul, and his life uh, is a life that that is, um, well, eternal. Yeah, that's right. So, Jesus then puts the question to Martha after he says this. He says, do you believe this? And she answers, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When Jesus asks Martha this question, you know, we see him ask his disciples in another context, who do you say that I am? Here he puts it to Martha. Talk about that question from Jesus, do you believe this? And then take us into Martha's answer. It's kind of funny because when Jesus says, do you believe this? Um, the this is pretty clear. Jesus had just made a statement about who he is and also about the consequence of who he is, right? So I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. So when he says, do you believe this? That's what he's referring to. And then Martha responds, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God who is coming into the world. Now that's, that's not exactly what Jesus said. Um, and this is where it's, it's kind of, um, uh, it can be taken in, in a couple of different ways on the face of it. This confession is absolutely glorious. I mean, it's, it's very, very similar to the confession, 
that we hear uh, Peter make. Uh, this is absolutely right on, so much better than what we saw in verse 22. You know, whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Um, that that was not all the way where we needed to be. But to identify Jesus of Nazareth as the Christ, right, the anointed one, the Messiah, the Savior, the Son of God, right? So no longer are we dealing with a conduit to the divine, but here she's referring to Jesus as divine in of himself, who is coming into the world, right? So that you have this concept of, of the fulfillment of all of the Old Testament promises. She's acknowledging that Jesus is that. So that's very, very good. She doesn't actually say, though, uh, that she, she, or at least she doesn't articulate a full-on acknowledgement of what Jesus had just claimed about himself, um, that him being the Christ, being the Son of God, being the resurrection and the life would have an effect or, or would have a, um, a direct sort of uh, uh, consequence for the believer, right? That uh, she, having believed in him, is going to live. Uh, he is able to raise her brother. Uh, this darkness of death and grief will pass, and through him, by him, in him, the light and the life uh, are going to be hers. She doesn't say that exactly. And we find out later in the account, you know, she when they're, they're going to roll away the, the tomb and or the stone from the tomb, and she's, she's concerned about that because Lazarus has been dead four days. So you wonder, did she fully understand back in verse 27? It's hard to say. You don't know. Um, but I, I do think we need to we need to make sure we, when we say that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world, that is true, and that is so good. But I remember my vicarage supervisor, he would constantly say that you don't have the gospel until you have the prepositional, the prepositional phrase uh, appended to it for you. So I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world for you. Or, or in Martha's case, for me or for my brother. And I think that that's where, uh, who knows? Who knows what, what was in her heart? But uh, we want to make sure that at least for us, we get there. It's not just who Jesus was and is. It's who Jesus was, is, and always will be for you. That's the gospel. Does that does that make sense? It does. It does. And that is the, the glorious comfort of those words for you, that the things that Jesus is saying and teaching in this text aren't just sort of abstract truths that are out there somewhere. And, and that sounds really nice, Pastor, but it's actually for you, that this is Christ's victory over death for you, Christ giving resurrection and life to you. It is it is for you. As a, as a pastor, and I imagine there are many faithful lay people as well, it's hard to hear these verses from John 11, verses 25 and 26 particularly, and not think about the funeral service. Because yeah. these, these verses show up very prominently in the funeral service. They get spoken twice, in fact, uh, toward the very end. It's such a great comfort. Talk, talk about that use within the funeral service and, and why these verses are, are so prominently, why are they used so prominently within a funeral service? Yeah, I think that's, I'm so glad you brought that up because it kind of gets to the heart of maybe the, the question mark with Martha's confession. She's, she's speaking the truth in the same way that you and I are speaking the truth in a, in a 
Bible study that's going to be heard by others. It's one thing to, to study these things and to acknowledge sort of the fact of the matter. And that's good. It's good to, to study and to know the truth. It's quite another in the context of our own very real uh, conflict with death. Uh, it's quite another thing to remember these words and put our trust in them. And the funeral service is one of those opportunities uh, in our walk through this valley of the shadow of death. It's an opportunity for us to, to look death right in the face. Most of the time, we're able to avoid that. Right? We, we can you know, look away uh, during the gory scenes in a movie. We can sort of treat the news of the passing of acquaintances with all of these idioms and, and sort of half statements. Uh, we can just in general avoid hospitals or nursing homes where people are sick and maybe near death. Right? People, people can sort of go a long way uh, into their experience in this life hiding from death. But eventually, eventually you are in a position of staring it down. And a funeral service gives us the opportunity to, as the, the community of faith, the family of God, with the uh, body of a loved one present in the sanctuary with us, just like Lazarus was present in the tomb, kind of making their way in that direction uh, as, as Jesus and Martha are talking. And then we hear again Jesus's words who he is, we have the opportunity to uh, embrace and trust the for you component of those words. It's not just the truth. It's the truth as it applies to this person in the casket, as it applies to me as I grieve, as it will apply to me when I'm in the casket. Uh, and that's, that's a different thing than Bible study. And in some ways, a, a, a better thing, a deeper thing. Uh, which is why we why we have that in our liturgy for sure. Yeah, and what a wonderful comfort it is to hear those words upon the death of a loved one. This isn't just abstract truth, but this is who Jesus is for you. Pastor Dan Speckert is pastor at St. Peter Lutheran Church and School in North Judson, Indiana. He's been helping us today to study John 11, verses 17 to 27. Pastor Speckert, thanks for being our guest today. Thank you so much for having me. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He is that for you, dear Christian. Rejoice in his victory over death for you. I am your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. If you have any questions about the gospel according to St. John, please send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org. It's always a pleasure to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.